Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Magic Like This, a C.S. Lewis book club podcast. I'm your host, Christina Wallace, and I am just delighted that you're here. If you haven't had the opportunity yet, I'd really encourage you to go on whatever app you're using to listen to this and click on my teaser episode because that kind of covers some groundwork that I think is really important before you listen to today's episode. Uh, But I don't want to recover it because I just want to dive straight in. So hop on over there. That will just give you a bit of an overview of who I am, what the heart is behind this podcast, and also a little bit about who C.S. Lewis is in case you have found this podcast because you're curious about Lewis, but you don't actually know a whole lot about him. You just know the name, you know, there's he's very famous for Chronicles of Narnia, and so most people know his name, but not everyone knows the wider breadth of work. So maybe you're just here because you love books and literature and you want to learn, um, or maybe you're here because you do know a lot more about Lewis and um, for the benefit of those who don't know very much about Lewis he was not only a fabulous writer but he was also a big hero of we call a hero of the faith Um, he was a Christian and apologist which means someone who studied the logical reasoning behind why Christians believe what they believe and he was also a theologian so there's quite a lot of different people who pick up Lewis's books for different reasons and I just want you to know that whatever reason you've landed on this podcast you are absolutely welcome here whether you share Lewis's and my uh, Christian faith or whether you do not but you're just interested in his writing whatever the case may be um, you're absolutely welcome here but the teaser episode just gives you a bit more of um, almost like a thesis statement of what we're going to be doing so head over and listen to that because today we are diving straight in to the book that we're going to be reading this season, which is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, obviously. (laughs) And The Screwtape Letters is a piece of fiction. The structure of it is what's called an epistolary, which is essentially a fancy word for it's written like letters, like it's a series of what appears to be personal correspondence, but obviously it's fictional. And the premise of the book is that all of the letters are from a chap called Screwtape and he's writing to his nephew who is called Wormwood. And you might be thinking, those are weird names. Yes, those are very odd names. Those are the names that Lewis has given to these fictional characters who just happen to be demons. So there's a little bit of a harrowing topic for you. We're reading fictional letters from one demon to another. Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. It's a really clever book because Lewis used the structure of letters to explore ideas in the Christian faith in terms of how people engage with spirituality and more importantly, how they might be influenced by the darker elements that exist in the spiritual world. So Lewis absolutely believed, along with believing in the Bible, believing in the God of the Bible, his son Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is um, the spirit that Jesus left behind when he ascended back up into heaven. That's a lot of heavy theology for you. So um, if you're not quite sure or not quite following where I'm at, if I throw a little bit of Bible or gospel in, always feel free to email me and ask questions. But Lewis believed in all those things and he also believed in the existence of the spiritual world of which there is 
forces of light and goodness in God and his Holy Spirit and forces of darkness, which are often referred to as the enemy or Satan or the devil. It's a little bit confusing though, because in the Screwtape letters, obviously the enemy from Screwtape's point of view is God. So when we read this book, we almost have to read it like it's a like a reverse, like, you know, a negative uh, piece of film where you look and you can almost see what the picture is supposed to be if you inverse the colors, but that little swatch of film is, is almost backwards. It's the opposite colors of what the final picture will be. That's kind of how you have to read screw tape letters, which is interesting uh, because when screw tape mentions the enemy, he's actually referring to God. Whereas in everyday conversations with other Christians or no doubt with Lewis himself, if you'd have heard him refer to the enemy, he would have been referring to Satan or the devil or, you know, forces of darkness or whatever you want to call it. But he uses this very clever epistolic framework to explore the ideas of how humanity can be influenced on their spiritual journey by dark or evil elements of the spiritual world. Now, that might seem kind of heavy. Um, it is kind of heavy. He does a really good job of also adding in great elements of humor, which I hope to be able to extrapolate for you as well as we read along. But it is, it's a heavy book. And the reason I picked this as the first book that we were going to read together is primarily because A, it's one of Lewis's most famous, um, apart from Chronicles of Narnia, it's up there with one of his most famous and well-known pieces, and also because it feels incredibly relevant to us today, despite the fact that it was written many decades ago, and the audience who would have originally read it didn't have things like smartphones and social media, and so, you know, the fabric of their world and the things they struggled with may be different um, in terms of the the actual physical daily life that they were leading. But in a lot of ways, what they struggled with, you know, decades and decades ago before, you know, the boom of social media, the boom of technology, isn't really that different. The human heart is very classic in its struggles. It's very consistent. We We all deal with the same things in different ways. And so I feel like a lot of the stuff that Lewis explores is things that um, we can easily draw into today's modern world and really find camaraderie in it. So that's why I picked this book. Today, we are just going to be looking at the preface. I'm going to be going at quite a slow pace because I mean it when I say that this is a book club. I am inviting you to get involved to really chew on the ideas that Lewis puts forward and he puts a lot of ideas forward so even though the preface is only a page and a half I can easily dedicate this entire episode to it because there's so much in there so without further ado I am gonna grab my copy I hope you've got yours or I hope that you've at least read the first you know page and a half before listening to this and we're gonna dive in so it's interesting because the preface is actually written by Lewis as Lewis. So he's distinguishing himself as the author as a separate entity than the narrator, who is obviously Screwtape, a, a fictional person. So he's writing this to the reader. And essentially what he's doing is he's laying out a foundation, or I almost think of it as an invitation to the reader, as to how they can read this. So it starts off by saying... 
I have no intention of explaining how the correspondence which I now offer to the public fell into my hands. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The first time that I read this book, that was the only thing that I took away, was that quote. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So I am going to spend a good deal of time just breaking that down and looking at what I think that means for us because, again, I think it's relevant to us even though it might look a little different from how it looked in Lewis's day when he wrote this. So let's look at the first part. He's saying that there's basically two dangers that we can fall into when interacting with the spiritual world with, I'm going to use the phrase, the demonic realm. And one of them is to just not believe that they exist at all. So Lewis is inviting the reader to humor him and read this with the presumption that the demonic realm exists. Now, I realize you might be listening to this, you might be reading the book, and you might not believe that the demonic realm exists, and that's okay. I still think you're going to enjoy the process of reading this, because if nothing else, it's just a really good piece of literature. But humor me, as well as Lewis, for all intents and purposes, because the author himself believed in the demonic realm, it changes the way that you'll interpret his writing if you realize that he's writing about something that he believes exists. So he's saying that the first error we can fall into is to not believe that there is a demonic realm. And you can believe that there's a spiritual world and still not believe that there's a demonic realm. I've come across Christians who believe in angels, they believe in the Holy Spirit, but they don't believe in demons. Um, that's a choice. You can, I suppose, believe that, but in my mind, it's a bit difficult to believe that because you can't really acknowledge the good aspects of the spiritual world and the, the aspects of us as spiritual beings and how we engage with light and goodness and God's presence without acknowledging that our spirit can also sometimes be drawn to darker things, uh, myself included. I am not uh, unique in that sense. So... When I think of what Lewis is saying here in terms of it's an error, he calls it an error to fall into, to disbelieve in the existence of demons. I think of it like, um, have any of you ever seen Harry Potter? Uh, if you haven't and you plan on watching it or reading it, uh, skip ahead because there's going to be spoilers, but I would like to think most people know the story of Harry Potter by now. And I love Harry Potter. I think it's fabulous. It's my husband and I listen to Stephen Fry's narration of Harry Potter at least three times a year. We're obsessed. And in the fourth and fifth book, you see the Minister for Magic towards the end of the fourth book and all throughout the fifth book. Um, he's called Fudge. And he essentially chooses ignorance. What I mean by that is when Voldemort returns at the end of the fourth book, Fudge is more or less there to witness, like moments after Voldemort's return, witness the after effect of that. Harry comes back with the goblet and with Cedric Diggory's dead body and he screams, he's back, he's back, Voldemort's back. And Fudge got to see the terror in that boy's eyes and then he turned his back and chose ignorance and said, Voldemort's not back. 
there's no way he's back. Of course he's not back. And he made that choice out of fear. Not only fear of Voldemort, but I think fear of his own reputation. What will happen? What will people think of me if I'm the one leading when Voldemort returns and I fail? Better to persuade everyone to disbelieve in Voldemort's existence. And what does that do? That gives Voldemort a massive advantage throughout all of the fifth book, throughout Order of the Phoenix, because he's able to essentially let the world be his playground with all of his Death Eaters because the Ministry isn't doing anything because they're ignoring it. So when one willfully ignores the presence of an enemy, it's almost like leaving your door unlocked and inviting them into your camp. That's kind of how I see this first warning of Lewis's when he says it's an error to disbelieve in the existence of the demonic. He's basically saying, if you are actively choosing to ignore that it's even a possibility, you're leaving your door unlocked and you're choosing to turn your back on what might be happening right there in front of you. Uh, better to step into your life as both a physical and a spiritual being interacting with both a physical and a spiritual world with your eyes open. You are a dignified human being who is invited to read this with your eyes wide open. I think that's what Lewis is saying. And there's actually a scripture that I'm going to reference, which I think is a really strong basis for what Lewis is speaking about here. So it's in the book of Ephesians in the Bible. And it's in chapter six of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a New Testament book written to the church. It's a letter, again, an apostolic piece written to the church in Ephesus. And here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Just going to pause real quick. Uh, the word gospel literally just means good news. So the good news of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So this is, I think, the same message as what Lewis is sharing in the preface. Be alert, put your armor on, ready yourself for battle. You are a dignified and worthy person to walk through this world with your eyes wide open. That is the first part of this little section, this little invitation from Lewis. The second section, the second error that he lists is for those who actually do believe in a spiritual world, but they have what he calls an excessive 
an unhealthy interest in them. It's almost like they're being seduced by the darker forces of the spiritual world or the demonic realm. Now, I'm going to be totally candid with you. I find this really difficult. I find this difficult to talk about. I find this difficult to communicate in a way which um, expresses the complexity of it. Because I think that if we're being totally candid here, most of us are going to read this and be like, well, yeah, duh. Like, I'm not going to go and worship Satan. <laughs> like, most people don't actively choose darkness. There are people, I've, I've met people who are like literally involved in that level of like dark worship, but not many. I think most of us choose what is good. We choose what is light and beautiful. And so it's easy to kind of read that and be like, well, yeah, um, of course you don't want to have an excessive and unhealthy interest in the demonic. But I think it's important to really, really read what he's saying here. He's not just saying that the error is to have an unhealthy interest in the demonic. He's saying that the error is to genuinely believe and have an unhealthy interest. I think that a lot of people, the, the time of year where they'll celebrate darkness, you know, all of the ghouls and zombies and death and stuff is at Halloween, right? It's it's just the time of year where we, we go for the spooky and it's fun. But most people don't believe in those things. They don't believe that there's zombies. They don't believe that there's demons. And if they did, they probably wouldn't be putting them on their wall. I could be wrong. Um, but most people don't actually believe in those things because I believe that most people are good at heart and they're not going to worship literal darkness. So celebrating the spooky is just something that's kind of fun and, you know, a little bit different and novel. But Lewis is saying when you actually believe that those things are real and you're preoccupied with them, well, what does that look like? Now, because I don't think that there are many people who are going to listen to this podcast and and probably, you know, turn it off and go worship Satan. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to talk to what I think this warning of Lewis's actually looks like in our modern day with your average person who has a good heart and believes in goodness and chooses generally what is light and good and beautiful. So here's where I think it's hard for me to for me to break this down, but I'm going to try, okay? And I'm going to invite you to give me some grace because talking through this, I genuinely find it really difficult because whoever you are listening to this, um, I want you to know that you're genuinely welcome here. You're so deeply loved by God. I'm not condemning you in any way. But I'm going to talk about this freely and candidly in the way that I've made sense of it and understand it in my life. I think that when we believe in the spiritual world, but we have an excessive and what would be classed as an unhealthy interest, is when we choose any version of spirituality that removes God from the story. So I believe that there is so much evidence in my own personal life, in the scriptures that I study, that God is the author of all things good and all things beautiful. I'm actually choking up because my spirit is like singing the truth of this. I believe that the God who made you and made me 
is the definition of love and purity and goodness and holiness. And he looks at you and he says that you are good and loved and chosen. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you with him in joy and peace. And that doesn't mean that life doesn't get hard, but I genuinely believe that God looks at every person individually, calls them by name and loves them. And if you're curious about that or you want to know why I think that, feel free to message me. I'll uh, include all my contact details, how you can get in touch or join the book club at the end of this episode. But I think that when we have an excessive and unhealthy interest in what could become a demonic version of spirituality, it's when we choose to engage with things that on the surface are good, but they they are only good on the surface because underneath you've removed the foundation of the author of that goodness. So what do I mean by that? Well, in the Bible... Satan, or the devil, or whatever you want to call him, is an angel of light. He's a musician. And that, in every way, shape, and form, is, like, sexy and wonderful and attractive and artistic and beautiful. And um, that would make sense. So, you know, the story of who Satan is in scripture is he was one of God's angels and he chose to rebel against God, essentially remove God from the narrative of his life. And all of his, you know, minions are what we would call demons. But he was an angel of light. He was a musician. He was something attractive. And for most of us, that's going to be what draws us in. I'm going to be attracted to something that is beautiful and artistic and again on the surface it is good but when we remove God from the narrative we're removing the foundation the author of the goodness see Satan can only counterfeit goodness he can't create any goodness in it of himself so he hijacks what God has made good. God has made music good. God has made nature good. God has made things that allow us to be grounded in our body and in our senses. All of those things he has made good. In fact, my goodness, in Genesis, the first thing we're invited to do is garden and, and fully indulge in the beauty of God's creation as creations ourselves. We are invited to really enjoy, you know, the, the changing of the seasons and the sky and stars above us and the trees and, and enrich our senses with smells and tastes and sounds, music and food and candles. And we're invited to engage in all those things. Those things are so good. They're gifts. They are a way for us to commune as fellow members of creation. They're a source for community. But God's the author of that goodness. And so I think where we can have an excessive and unhealthy interest in the spiritual world and it can turn into a, a dark spirituality that we might not see essentially on the surface is when we shift our point of focus to be indulging our spirituality in those good things, but not tracing it all the way back to the one who authored that goodness. And in doing that, in removing God from the story, Satan steps in his place. 
he attempts to seduce us and draw us in using the counterfeits of what is authentically good in God's camp, but only a hijacked counterfeit version in Satan's camp. That's really meta. It, it sounds really woo if, if you're not uh, someone who's really into the whole spirituality thing. But this is what I think Lewis is talking about when we get too obsessed with spirituality in and of itself, but remove God from the story. We don't want to connect with the author of our spirits. We just want to connect with the counterfeit surface things that draw out our spirituality. Now, I don't feel any more spiritual than I do when I'm taking a walk and I am listening to the sound of the trees or when I light a candle and I just like fall deep into my senses and deep into the presence of my own body. Those are spiritual practices and they they should be, but they draw me closer to the one who made those practices, the one who made those things for me to enjoy. And I think that it's where we fall short when we stop at the practices themselves without allowing it to be a tool where we commune with God. And that's exactly what Screwtape wants in this book. He wants in all ways to draw humanity away from God. So all of these letters that he's writing, he's writing to his nephew Wormwood, coaching Wormwood on how to tempt one particular human being. And his only aim, he will use any means that he can, the the human's own nature, um, the, the human's friends, he'll use any tool he can to accomplish one end. And that is to remove God from that human's story. He, he doesn't even mind in being a spiritual being and engaging in spirituality as long as it's not focused on the author of his spirituality, which is God. As long as the human isn't focused on a relationship with the God who will affirm him with goodness and love, Screwtape has succeeded. So that is where we're going to finish today. There is so much more that I want to talk through in this particular just little page and a half of the preface, but it feels like that's a good place to stop. And I might actually do a second episode and look at the second half of the preface before we dig into the first letter. Let me know if that's something that you would be interested in, because I think there's a ton of other really rich and fascinating stuff in there. But I think that that's a good place to stop today. And essentially what I want to wrap it up with is reminding you that Lewis is inviting you to walk into this book and engage with the ideas that he's exploring in a fictional format with your eyes wide open to how it might actually apply to you and apply to your life. If you've got thoughts on this, if you've got questions, please feel free to get in touch with me. The best way to do this is actually to join our book club community, which is at magiclikethis.substack.com. It's five pounds a month to join, and that essentially will invite you into what I like to call the bougie book club. 
My my word for the decade when I turned 30, yes, I have a word for the decade, was bougie. Uh, mostly because I like the way it sounds, but also because I just love this idea of adding a sense of decadence and elegance to our lives. And book clubs always just felt really bougie. Like you sit around with a glass of wine and some cheese and chat about books and like, I can't think of anything better. And joining the Substack is essentially a virtual invitation to join our wine and cheese and book jollies. Uh, We're going to be doing regular sorts of chats. My heart and hope for this as it grows is that we actually have monthly calls on Zoom, but I'm going to be doing discussion topics on there and it means that you'll be able to engage and chat with me and also with the fellow book club community of people who love literature and love C.S. Lewis. So I really hope that you'll join me over there. But if you just want to message me with a question and you're not interested in joining the book club yet, you can get in touch with me at magiclikethis at substack.com. And that is a email address that I will be keeping an eye on and we can chat there. But I wanted to finish, I've really felt it on my heart that I want to finish out every episode with a psalm. Uh, The book of Psalms is a book in the Bible written by a lot of different authors and it's essentially the cries of the human heart, both in joy and in suffering, the cries of the human heart to God. And I never feel more seen and rooted in my own humanity than I do when I read the Psalms. So today I'm just going to read you a little section of Psalm 18 and we'll finish with this. With the faithful, you prove yourself faithful. With the blameless, you prove yourself blameless. With the pure, you prove yourself pure. But with the crooked, you prove yourself shrewd. For you rescue an oppressed people, but you humble those with haughty eyes. Lord, you light my lamp. My God illuminates my darkness. Be blessed, have a gorgeous week, and we will catch up again next week or potentially the next part of the preface, potentially the first letter. We're going to take this at a nice slow pace and we will go as slowly as we need to to dig all of the delicious, mm, wonderful goodness of C.S. Lewis. Take care.